Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Um, Dave, great to be able to catch up with you um, as we think about investing and really where the opportunities are today. And I, I really think, and I'll say it again, um, it has been and likely will continue to be a stock picker's market. So, you know, we're really kind of trying to focus on ideas that will help generate money for our viewers. So thanks for being with us, because I know that that's kind of how you also invest, correct? Absolutely. Good Good to see you again, Catherine. I mean, it's I, I'm a stock picker, so love love chatting about ideas. And, and, and absolutely, I mean, the interesting thing in markets today is, you know, there, there, there's a lot out there. So there's there's always something to do. In the words of in the words of Peter Kundal, um, so it's just when when surveying the landscape today, we've we've seen a lot of volatility in the past 12, 24 months, and volatility is great because it always gives us opportunities to find new ideas to be invested in. Okay, and and before we get into those ideas, um, you know, do you have right now a, a view of the macro world? How much does that impact your, uh, well, you know, your investment process almost? Yeah, I mean we're 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 far from macro investors, so I'd caution anyone on taking our macro advice. But I mean the way I invest, I'm 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 very focused on the small cap markets. So we're trying to find opportunities where businesses are in the earlier stages of addressing really big markets. And so one of the things we're always trying to identify is where where we're seeing the big tailwinds, which in itself is 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 more macro than um than 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 company fundamentals. So for us, our macro picture is always trying to find businesses where where we see long-term demand growth, um, you know, changing dynamics within within industries, and you know, really identifying those businesses uh, that can capture the tailwinds. And so, what you see in our portfolios is we we gravitate a lot more towards technology and healthcare, um, new, newer business models, and and newer industries. Hmm. Okay. And can you just talk before we get into some of the ideas, a little bit about those tailwinds? Like when you think about healthcare or technology, uh, what about it is um, promising in terms of the tailwinds? What's exciting? Yeah. I mean, while we see with the, with the onset of the global pandemic last year, we saw this massive shift towards uh, uh, work from home. And, you know, everybody's now talking about their return to office strategy. But you know what this what what the pandemic has done is it's it's rapidly increased the adoption of a lot of different technologies and you know we we've certainly seen that with the rebound in the Nasdaq and a lot of people getting understanding you know various technologies uh, you know revenue revenue growth around uh, revenue growth is going to ramp up quite significantly um, but you know we're we're sitting here today and you know we think we're still in the early innings like a lot of companies are still heavily investing in their infrastructure. Uh, to build out uh, a more complete hybrid model. Um, I mean, we're, we're doing this interview. Um, I'm in my home office and we're on mm -hmm. Zoom. I mean, wouldn't have thought we were, we'd be doing this two years ago. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how fast technology has, has moved to address the current situation. And I think there, there's a lot of advantages to the way the world is now. There's obviously a lot of disadvantages, so I don't want to make light of that. But you know, we, we see a lot of these tech trends continuing 
for, for quite a while. And so, you know, when we look into our portfolio, uh, it's a lot of companies where, you know, we've got the real estate industry being disrupted and we think that's going to go on for the next decade. Um, we've got payments being disrupted. We see that going on for the next decade. Uh, online commerce. I mean, we're, I mean, prior to the pandemic, I, I didn't buy groceries online. Um, now I think buying groceries online is fantastic because uh, it saves me, you know, an hour every time and going to the grocery store, walking around and parking and everything. So it's a lot of these, a lot of these, the, the changes in behavior by consumers and businesses is really just the, the tip of the iceberg here. And we're probably inning two or inning three of, 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 of these tech tailwinds. Got it. And we'll go into some of those details. Um, but uh, within healthcare, uh, you know, again, kind of from that macro tailwind perspective, what, what's interesting there? It was, it, I mean, one of the big tailwinds we saw was how, how care was delivered. And what we'd, particularly in Canada, less so in the United States, we, we had this, we, we had, had an environment where, um, you know, you, you had patients who were kind of stakeholders in the primary care uh, equation, you had doctors, but then you also had uh, clinical and hospital administrators. And it was hard to get everybody aligned on how to do things more efficiently. You know, there'd be points in time where hospitals would try to, or and clinics would try to adopt technology, then the doctors would have nothing of it. Um, other times where, you know, patients just, you know, they, they didn't want to use the technology. And really this, the, the, the global pandemic forced a convergence towards uh, telemedicine. And it was already, telemedicine itself was already being adopted in the United States and other jurisdictions around the world. But, you know, we've, we've obviously seen massive uptake in, in Canada here in the last 12 months. And yeah, it's been a tailwind for companies like, um, you know, TELUS through their TELUS health division, uh, but well health, which has been a, a longtime portfolio holding of ours. Hmm. Okay. Um, I always wonder though, with the, the telemedicine, I always wonder about the, um, the satisfaction level uh, amongst users. I think that's been a big issue over so many years. So what's really changed there? Uh, I think as doctors get more comfortable with it, um, and how you can practice. And it's, it's certainly, you know, if you've, if, if you've got a gaping wound on your leg, you're, you know, it's hard, hard to do that on, uh, online. Um, but there's a lot of simple things where you have to go in for a prescription refill, um, or you need to do that first diagnosis. So you can maybe go to a specialist, there's a lot of very, there's a lot of strong use cases, um, but conversely, there's also a lot of use cases where nothing's going to be going face to face. And so I, as, as the decision trees get, and when, you, when, you're, when you're going into telemedicine, there's, yeah, you're, you're generally filling out a bunch of forms. And as that triage uh, AI decision tree gets, gets more, more precise, it's, 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 it's going to improve the, the, the patient experience quite dramatically. But uh, I mean, whenever new technology is adopted, there's always, there's always some heartache. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go down some of those um, paths and that you mentioned as it relates to real estate for one and what's changed uh, because of the pandemic and perhaps more use of technology specifically, what, what areas within real estate tech do you like? Yeah, and we've been uh, big supporters of uh, Zillow for quite a while. So, you know, obviously a, a large U.S. tech company. And I mean, it's interesting when you see S&P 500 and NASDAQ hitting 52-week highs, we're looking at Zillow and it's 50% off its 52-week high. So when you're trying to kind of circle the square and find, find opportunities within tech, which are reasonably priced, you know, we see a company that's 50% off its highs. 
but you know what Zillow's Zillow's trying to transition their uh, the real estate industry. I mean, there's I think when when the real estate industry and the the, the general commission structure for real estate agents came into place, um, taking you know a couple percentage points made a lot of sense because the value of value of homes was was a lot lower. As we've seen massive real estate price inflation, price increases. The you know all of a sudden these smaller commission percentages are are, are pretty large amounts and so there's there's a lot of value kind of in the in the sales model um, that, that's kind of you know slipping from the buyer out of the buyer and the seller's hands where there's an opportunity there for tech to disintermediate that and so I mean Zillow's had their now uh, they're where they're buying homes directly and it's it, it, with with the pandemic it it, it allowed people to to, you know, to try these things and get comfortable with it. I mean, if you would have told me I, you might buy or just sell your home online with nobody ever seeing it just a couple of years ago, I, I probably would have thought you're, you're a bit crazy, but now, um, you know, people have tried it out and it's pretty compelling for a, a seller. I mean, if you, if you're going to sell your house, Zillow's got really strong data on how much uh, houses are worth in that area and they can make you an offer and it's going to be 6% below what they, they think they can resell it for. But I mean, you don't have to stage your house. You don't have to hire a real estate agent. You don't have to have people, you know, walking through your house, whatever, and making plans to leave. And, you know, that friction is a, a pretty big roadblock for a lot of people and in, in actually selling their homes. So um, Zillow's brought together, you know, utilizing their historical data on, 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 on real estate prices and providing value to the potential home sellers. And, you know, certainly in the U S if anyone starts looking for a house in the U S they go to Zillow. So they've, they've already aggregated demand um, for, for houses. And now they've, they found a way to actually uh, dial into the supply and, and the markets they're in, we're seeing really good traction. Um, and so it's, you know, it's pretty, I think pretty early innings of, of breaking down an industry which has historically been been really hard for technology to get into. And, and I haven't looked at uh, Zillow in a number of years, really. Uh, I mean, it's been around for a very long time. Um, why is it down 50%? Uh, I mean, it's, it is a battleground stock. I mean, a lot of people will just say, you know, we're, we're never going to buy and sell our homes online. Um, the, you know, there's obviously a lot of, there's a lot of vested interests. So a lot of people are will be fairly negative on the business model because it uh you know it it eats their their cook their their cooking the the um the, the we, we, there's been short reports on zillow over the years so there's a lot of people saying well they're using their balance sheet to to finance all this and if there's a real estate downturn it's really risky and okay. um the econ the unit economics are pretty skinny like they're not making much per house um but you know what we've seen is the the CEO uh, Rich Barton. I mean he's he he's built you know a, a few other like, massively scaled tech companies. So you know here we 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 think there's a high probability that uh, he he's going to figure out the economics here um, because there's a lot of other things you can layer in to the business model. You know not only is there the real estate agent commissions that are that are in the middle. Um, there's a whole bunch of ancillary services um, post 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 house purchase where they're going to be able to actually add you know add, add to their incremental margin from every transaction hmm. and um speaking of um ancillary businesses and tech and real estate i'm wondering 
Have you looked at or own Real Matters and or Voxster? Uh, yeah, we've looked at both companies. We, we currently hold Real Matters. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've, we've been involved with the company on and off uh, since a little after their IPO. Um, we've, we recently re repurchased a, a position in the company. And you know, I think it's, it's got a wonderful technology. I mean, and you, you kind of see the market share they're they're getting in in one of their markets. And the the real the real question is, can they actually get into the uh, into the title market in a big way? Um, we think where the stock's trading today, you're not taking a lot of risk on them being able to execute on that. So it's a it's a pretty interesting opportunity. And again. I mean, it's kind of along the Zillow lines where this is something else. It's, I, I think about 40 or 50% off its 52-week highs. Um, so, you know, it it tends to trade quite a bit with refinancing rates down in the U.S. because as transactions pick up, revenue increases. Um, I think when you take a longer-term perspective on this, this company is just going to get a larger percentage of every single real estate transaction. And five years from day is, today is going to be a more dominant, more profitable company than it is today. So we, we like taking these opportunities to add to it. Okay. And, and the gentleman who was one of the key people behind Real Matters is, is also the founder behind Voxster. Same kind of business. Yeah, it's similar business. Um, we, you know, we, we, we generally like to watch companies for a while before we, uh, before we invest. Got it. Um, let's take a look at the payment business as well. Um, you mentioned that as an area that um, you see some continued transformation in, just given the pandemic. Specifically, what on the payment front? So on the on the on the larger scale size, we've we initiated a position in Square. Um, I think last March, April, in the middle of the pandemic, just recognizing that more payments were going online, um, and you could you could also see you know small merchants had to had to figure out how to, how to move online and continue to operate in a really challenging environment. So I think with what we, in the last 18 months, we've seen a, a big movement towards online payments. And you know, Square's been a, a pretty aggressive leader in the space and launched their Square Cash app um, uh, about a year ago, which really becomes a wallet for a lot of consumers. Um, so like, we're in, in Canada here. We obviously, we, we follow the Canadian banks pretty closely and they've had a very protected position over the years. So it's, it's hard to think of the Canadian of banks being disrupted as a Canadian. Um, but when you kind of read, read the commentary from the larger U S banks, I mean, they're, they're really concerned about the financial of, or, or the, 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 the future of their, their businesses and the impact a lot of these, these payment platforms and transactional platforms are, are having on them. And, I mean, then you kind of you you go from looking at a square in the U.S. and I mean, we're not we're not shareholders of Shopify um, in in Canada, but I mean, it's 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 a wonderful business which is allowing small merchants to move to move online. And I mean, there's com companies that moved to Shopify, you know, pre-pandemic or early stages, um, fared so much better than traditional retailers that or smaller retailers that that didn't make that move and. You know, so the, the 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 Shopify platform really enables businesses um, to 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 ramp up in in what we think is going to be an online going trend tying into our into our online commerce. And so you know, none of this is none of this is possible without without the the, the back end financial transaction, the processing network to support it. And so, who plays into that then? 
into so I mean obviously you know Lightspeed's been a big winner. Um, I mean it's more more on the payment side, um, but I mean I think when you on the transactional side, I mean I think when you start looking five or ten years out, I think that's when we start to see cryptocurrency playing a, a bigger role and. I mean, one of the aspects we really we really like about Square is, you know, even though it's not a, a crypto-based uh, company, uh, their platform does support crypto-based transactions. And mm-hmm. we think when we start to look at disintermediation of the of the financial sector, um, you know, the, you're tying in crypto with some of these larger platforms like a Square. Um, we start to see the possibility of it. Okay, and I normally save my crypto questions for the end, but uh, but since you brought it up, um, how are you involved in in crypto of some sort? Uh, we've we're we have we have small we have small weightings towards it. I mean, I think when when we look at the space, there's I mean, this, this is going to be polarizing right out of the gate here, but I mean the there there's a chance that crypto does replace. Um, some or some or potentially a majority of existing forms of cash and cash transactions. And hmm. if if you're not open to that, um, you know, you're. I think I think you're 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 potentially you know you're, you're entertaining a lot of catastrophic risk in your portfolio and your investments because there's a probability it does happen. There's also a probability that it does not happen. Um, and the reality is nobody knows right now, but there's a lot of fundamentals in place where we think the probability of it, of crypto becoming more mainstream has increased quite dramatically. And I mean, we just, you look at uh, Jamie Dimon at, at JP Morgan, I mean, a couple of years ago, they were firing people who even talked about Bitcoin and now they're openly embracing it um, within their banking network. And so I think what we're seeing is we're seeing widespread adoption and understanding of how uh, cryptocurrency is, you know, be, because of the inherent advantages of it, um, it's, it has the potential to be very disruptive. So I think the larger financial institutions and governments are now scrambling to try and get ahead of it so that it's not disruptive to, to the way governments, governments function um, and, you know, monetary policy around the world. And um, is there, how, how are you playing it though? I mean, are you just going out and buying Bitcoin in your own wallet or using one of the funds? What, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, in our in our funds, I mean, we would say Square's kind of moderate Bitcoin or crypto exposure. Uh, my partner, Felix, uh, made an investment in a company called MicroStrategy. Um, it's a US company. Uh, and I mean, that, they've got a, a ton of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So it kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a levered proxy for Bitcoin. Um, in small cap fund, I was, you know, an investor in a company called Dig- or big digital assets, um, which we really liked it because it had, it had some software around fraud detection and contracts with government agencies. So it had this, you know, an established business in the space. Um, they also had a, a crypto exchange. Um, so it provided some optionality for us. If the, if the exchange, you know, um, they were applying for regulation, if they become one of the first crypt, uh, regulated crypto exchanges in the country, um, could be a nice win for us. It's already, and, yeah, it's already been a bit of a nice win for us. <laughs> That's interesting. So, um, and Dave, I should should have asked in the beginning. Well, I mean, you do have U.S. companies, but but what's your exposure to Canada versus the United States? Big digital assets. I'm not familiar with. Where does it trade? 
Yeah, it's a Canadian-based company. So I mean, my, the small cap fund I manage is always kind of 80 to 90% Canadian with a little bit of US layered in because I, I, sh I shy away from the resource sector, um, focusing more tech, healthcare, consumer products. So generally to, to round out the portfolio, we find a, a few US names, but we across the firm, my partner Felix focuses a bit more kind of global and US than, and, and larger market cap than I do. It's interesting, you know, when you really think about perhaps what the Canadian small cap opportunities are, because they don't get a lot of airtime. Um, but yet, I'm sure that you've invested in a lot of these small cap Canadian tech companies that became large cap. So um, probably it's probably interesting homework to, to do. Yeah, I mean, when you get it right, it's really re rewarding. I mean, we we participated in the Dye and Durham IPO and you know, there's a stock that went IPO at 750 and it's trading 46, 47 dollars today. So, you know, when you, when you get a small cap right, it's uh, it drives a lot of returns for your portfolio. And and you know, it's we, we've seen a lot of over the last three four years in particular, a, a lot of small cap managers just they've shut down, they've wound up their funds, they've moved on. So there's just, there's a lot less eyeballs on the small cap space than there was five or 10 years ago. And the less, the less people that are actually looking to invest in these companies and, and digging in and understanding the businesses, it just, it just, it creates a lot more inefficiency, which creates the opportunity. And then when we see these, when these small cap companies actually, you know, hit the growth trajectory and um, you know, as they, as they build in size, you know, if they get to, you know, as if they get the 500 million, uh, the all cap managers start looking at it. They get to a billion, the large cap managers. So you, you get this natural larger following. And so you start to see not only the growth of the underlying business, but then also the uh, multiple expansion as it goes from being rated as a underfollowed small cap company to a, a well-loved large cap. Right. Well, why do you think I think people would be wondering why, why so many small cap managers um, have closed up shop? It's been a really challenging performance environment. I mean, we saw, you know, 2018, I think small cap indices were down kind of 18%, but large cap indices were up. And I mean, even, you know, in the last kind of six months, we saw this, the small cap market uh, peak in February, March. And since that point in time, I mean, the, the Russell micro cap is index is underperformed the S&P 500 by about 20%. I mean, you underperform large cap stocks by 20%. It's... Uh, it, it, it's hard to hard to convince people it's a great place to be. So it's just, it's, yeah. there's been a lot of performance challenges in the space. I understood. Um, I just wanted people to understand that, but you know, that at the same time, there's a lot of opportunities too. Um, talk to us a little bit about another company that I believe you own. Um, we Commerce, what is that? Yeah, We Commerce is a, a, a company that came public in uh, in December of last year. Um, some a, a couple of people in the tech software space uh, I've followed for quite a while, and they they uh, they started acquiring companies which provide ancillary ancillary services and products on the on the Shopify network. So we've got all these merchants flocking to Shopify, um, but the the that the actual partner ecosystem. So if you want to you know, customize your storefront, um, tie into your Instagram accounts uh, for easier sales and whatnot. There's all these little plugins you can add on, um, which makes your Shopify store um, uh, more appealing, um, e easier to transact on, makes it easier for you to tie into your back end and in, in your in your operations. There's all these little things, and if, if 
when, when we think Shopify is a company that's going to grow for a really long period of time, and to be attached to that, uh, to be attached to that platform, um, it, it it's very reminiscent of what we saw with Salesforce. And Salesforce launched their force.com platform, gosh, probably 15 years ago now. And there were a lot of companies which just sold, you know, different modules and, and very like different products on top of that platform. And that ecosystem expanded dramatically over the past 15 to 20 years. So I think what we're seeing today with WeCommerce, um, you know, uh, operating on the shop, uh, selling additional services on the Shopify platform, in the in the very early innings of uh, a long tailwind for Shopify, um, it's a pretty interesting place to be invested. With I mean, if you if you get a chance, follow Andrew Wilkinson on Twitter. Um, okay. Just super super thoughtful guy, um, and really focused. I mean, him and his partner Chris, uh, they, they've got uh, bronze uh, bronze statues of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger in their office, which is which is interesting for tech CEOs who are growing companies to. Uh, to have to to really have that that strong value discipline. So, um, you know, we, we think they you know their combination of their operational experience, knowing how to optimize the operation of these technology companies, as well as knowing how to buy buy other companies and integrate it onto the platform. Um, you know, we think it's a, a pretty growth, a pretty strong growth window for the company. Um, two follow up questions: Are they profitable? I haven't look, I don't know this company. I haven't looked at it. Um, so are they profitable? And then who, who do they compete with? I, I have to believe there's a lot of competition out there. Yeah. So we, we, we uh, profitability, we think, uh, you know, it's, it's looking very good for the next 12, 24 months. They just, their financials are a little convoluted. They've made a couple acquisitions, which make it challenging to understand, but, but given the parameters around the acquisitions they've made and they made one substantive, substantive acquisition, um, we think they will be nicely profitable the, 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 their, their competition is a lot of kind of one-off creatives who have built stuff for the Shopify platform and then started to monetize it. Um, but you know, what they do a good job is they, 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 they build relationships with these creators and it, it gives the creator the opportunity to, to join WeCommerce um, and run their business and, but not focus on the business aspects of it. Focus on the product because a lot of these software developers, um, you know, their their love is creating great product for their customers, and they're not as uh, tuned in to you know ramping up sales and marketing side or driving EBITDA margins on the back side. And that's really the the, the part of the value equation that uh, that Andrew and Chris bring to the operators who decide to partner with WeCommerce and join join that business. Okay. Um, let's take a look at another name that you own. Um, I'm not familiar with this. So this, these are the micro cap names that, that you're giving us. So, which is great. Sangoma. Uh, yes. So Sangoma is in the uh, unified communication space. Um, and uh, again, kind of the, the everyone working from home, um, having the need for being able to transition your your, your phone line from your computer, your desk at your office to your computer at home. So basically having a soft phone and having the, the backend plumbing that, that supports all that. Um, you know, if you, if you look in the US, there's a couple large companies in the unified communication space, uh, Twilio and uh, Ring Central. I mean, any people who are investing in the tech space will know those companies incredibly well. Um, Sangoma is, you know, competitors to those companies, uh, but focused more on small to medium businesses. 
um, who are looking for a solution. And it's a, it's a business that's, you know, we've, we've followed it since it was truly a micro cap, about $10 million market cap. Um, you know, I think it's four, four or $500 million market cap today. Um, and trading, trading at a pretty steep discount to what their US peers are. Um, so we, and I think the company's looking to list down in the US here in the next, uh, in the next few months. So there may be a re-rate opportunity there as more US investors start to look at it. But really being in that unified communication space, so companies can have all their, their telephony messaging all in, uh, all in one, one place. Interesting. Um, and then what, what's the other name that you give us? Pranter? Not- uh, Pronto Forms. Pronto Forms. And, uh, another, another in the micro cap space, um, yeah. you know, kind of in the like, $100 million market cap today. Um, and what, what, they, what they do is they, they have a, a low code uh, solution for field services automation. So if you think of like the, the meter person going to the side of your house and reading your gas or electric meter, um, a lot of those meters have been automated, but a lot of times you have to do a visual inspection. And, you know, when those people show up at your house, a lot of times they're, they're writing things down on paper or they're banging it into an Excel spreadsheet on a laptop they have with them. Uh, what Pronto Forms allows is the, the company to design a custom application. The field service worker can then download it and enter the data um, in real time, and it immediately populates their backend database. So it really streamlines the field service worker. Um, you know, it's, it improves the safety of the field service worker because they're not spending as much time on site. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, and again, you know, early, early innings in an industry, um, you know, par- part of what's really attractive is the, you, know, you don't need a software development team uh, in-house to build out these, these apps. I mean, we've built out a, a couple apps internally for our own use. And, you know, we don't, we, we, we don't have a lot of, we don't have any software developers on staff at, uh, at Pender. So it's, you know, it's super easy to deploy, which is a, a big part of the value proposition for them. And, They've been scaling into larger enterprise customers, and what we're finding is once they land a large enterprise customer, um, they're able to expand into other parts of the company. So, I mean, we've seen the company growing at at high teens over the last couple of years, and we would expect that to continue and, uh, if not, accelerate. Hmm. Dave, that's interesting. So, wait, when you say that internally, you're able to create an app, the correct. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it basically it's, it's it's a low code solution, and what that means is you don't need a software developer to build the app. Um, it's very form based, so you can create these customizable forms that are really easy. It's, it's easy to it's easy to create them, and then they're also you know very user friendly for whoever is inputting it inputting data into their their mobile device. So you use Pronto Forms to create your own app. Uh, we've you yes, yeah we've. Is that right? I'm just trying to understand exactly what it is. And I guess which industries this will fit well. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, 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 they're normal use cases in, uh, in oil, uh, field services. So electric utilities, gas utilities, um, other people going out into the middle of nowhere to, to monitor oil and gas rigs. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, we just, we, we used the, you know, we, we used, we used a low code solution, not Pronto Forms um, for our trading. Um, so we can, uh, we can enter all our trades remotely and it goes, goes into our order management system uh, right away. Hmm. That's interesting. 
didn't know that we could do this. I thought I did need to have a software person handy. There's software so that you don't even need a software person. That's what I'm learning. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, which is great for companies because a lot of companies don't want to make the investment of having a whole bunch of software people on board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's the ticker for Pronto Forms? Uh, PFM. So Peter, Frank, Mary. And it trades where? Uh, TSX Venture, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Dan, we're going to wrap it up here, but I thought maybe kind of a final word of advice that you can maybe give our viewers is, you know, when people think about, you know, investing in small cap or micro cap or what have you, I mean, you always kind of hear at cocktail parties or have in the past, you know, have you heard about this stock? Have you heard about that? And, and so much of the time, I mean, unless you're a real professional, the stocks go nowhere. And, that, and that's, yeah. being, that's being kind. So um, what, what might your advice be to, you know, to individuals who are thinking about small cap companies, believe in, in buying into that? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the micro cap and small cap space is one of the few parts of the market where an individual investor can have a big advantage over an institution. Because a lot of institutions, their funds are too big and they're just not going to be looking at 100 or $200 million companies. Um, the, the key is to... To, to do your work. Um, make sure you're actually investing in a higher quality company. Um, not, not promises, but actually, but, but be investing in businesses. And I think the, the horror stories we all hear is someone gets a tip from their, their Uber driver or their, you know, at the salon and, you know, that tip uh, eviscerates 5,000 or $10,000 of the person's savings. Yeah. Um, the but so there's, there there are a lot of companies out there where they can go to zero. But if you if you understand the business and you're buying if you're buying something you understand and you're paying a reasonable price for it, and that company's probably going to be worth more in five or ten years, um, you've got a good chance of success in the in the small cap space. Okay, Dave, we'll wrap it up there. Great to see you, and thank you for the information and um, the idea generation as well. It's great. Okay, thank you, Catherine. Good to see you again. Thank you. You too.